0: Hello, survivors, and welcome to Health Drink, a Silent Hill podcast by Resident Evil fans for Resident Evil fans. This is first aid spray bonus episode two, and in this edition, we'll be haphazardly wandering into the town of Silent Hill in the first game of the classic survival horror series. My name is Siniak, you can just call me Sigh. and joining me on the panel this week, I don't want to think so, but maybe this is all going on inside his head. It's Firebutton Steve Valance. Hello. Calling in live from the other side of the Atlantic Ocean, it's Boy Wonder Adam Russell Reeves. That's strange. It's
1: getting (laughs) darker.
0: (laughs) And our esteemed special guest, if it's half 3pm here and it's half 11am where he is, is he recording this podcast retrospectively? With over 52,000 YouTube subscribers, it's Jared from Avalanche Reviews.
2: That was witty. I like that. What's up, guys?
0: <laughs> this is why I spend my spare time on coming up with stupid <laughs> intros. <laughs> the subject of this bonus episode, like all others, was voted on by you, our Patreon backers. Support the show now to not only keep us afloat, but to also create new content. Select what that content is and hear it a month before everyone else. Tears begin at $1 a month. Check out patreon.com forward slash Pod for the full breakdown. <laughs> So, numero uno on the list of things to get to first, Um, mainstay First Aid Spray listeners will know file readings are a thing in most of our podcasts, and we did that with our previous bonus episode, Dino Crisis 2, uh, as there are files in that game to be read. Not so much in Silent Hill, we wanted to try something different. So in this episode, we're going to be breaking things up with a piece of music that I'm going to slip in. Uh, And full credit goes to Rod Herold over at YouTube. Check out his channel, it's in the description of his podcast. He does loads of great covers of video game tracks. A, in general. B, Resident Evil. And obviously C, Silent Hill. There's some cool stuff on there and he doesn't get the the views that he deserves. So go give him a subscribe. Um, So I'm going to lay in uh, one of my favourite tracks from Silent Hill 1, not tomorrow. His cover of that is going to be in here, so shout out to him. But circling back round to our main guest, just to introduce you to our audience. Most of our audience are probably aware of who you are. Uh, like I say, you've got very strong following, especially kind of in the horror community. Um, probably if you watch our YouTube content, you most likely come up in the recommended, let's be honest. Um, so how did you get started on YouTube, Jared? What was, what was it like for you? Because I kind of know a little bit of your YouTube history, but tell that story a little bit.
2: Um, oddly enough, it it kind of started with Silent Hill. That was the uh jumping off point. Mm-hmm. Um I was driving home from a concert. I think it was Symphony X. I'm not I'm almost positive it was Symphony X. Mm-hmm. And my next door neighbor we're really good friends with. So she was in the car. We were driving uh back from North Florida and she was like, So what have you been up to lately? And I had been mulling around the idea of starting a YouTube channel, but I would never said it out loud to anybody. And I just said, uh, "I'm going to start a YouTube channel and review Silent Hill 3." It just all came out at once, and after I said that, I kind of had to, <laughs> and so I did. And that was the first video I ever made was uh, Silent Hill 3. Oh, that must have been it seems like eight eight years ago.
0: That's right. Yeah, I had, had a quick. I had a quick check. Yeah, it's eight years. Um, wow. Uh, yeah. Um, what was the kind of, what was the point where it kind of grew? Because, uh, yeah, it's, it seemed to spiral at one point.
2: Um, so I was doing, I, I don't know if I would say relatively okay. Okay. Ish, uh, you know, six or so years in, I, I had hit somewhere in the neighborhood of 10,000 subscribers, which was a big milestone for me. But then a hurricane, uh, hit my little part of South Florida and we lost, The internet for the longest time, and my job was essentially on hold because nobody was going out anywhere and they had to repair the building. So I sat at home and I was like, you know, why not play through the Resident Evil games, just capture some footage? And I decided, no, let's just review every game in the series, we'll just go, you know, one through seven or whatever. And I started reviewing, or I started playing the games, capturing the footage, writing the scripts, and I really started getting into it. And around that time is when Capcom finally confirmed with some type of uh, images and and trailers the, the RE2 remake. Because for the longest time, that seemed like vaporware to all of us. We just kind of assumed, you know, they announced it how many years ago. We haven't heard anything. So, you know, we figured it was dead. And when the RE2 remake was announced, and it was announced that there would be some... RE 1.5 content. My channel just happened to have a Resident Evil 1.5 video released within the last few weeks. That was kind of up there in the algorithm. You know, when you searched, that was one of the first things that came up. And I jumped up from 10,000 to 30,000 subscribers. <sighs> uh, it seemed like in, in like two weeks. It was wow. insane.
0: That's that is crazy. Yeah. And it's really funny if you compare, uh, that to where you started with that silent hill 3 video is under seven minutes long compared to some of the stuff that you put out now it's yep. hugely in depth long videos um, oh yeah yeah and like you say reviewing every single game in the resi series is a huge investment when did your resident evil sort of fandom begin were you on at the original game where did you come into it and what made you fall in love with that series
2: Uh, in a pretty interesting way, actually, I didn't own a PlayStation for the longest time. Um, so after this, is another hurricane story, after hurricane (laughs) Andrew, back in the nineties, we all lived in Miami and our house was just demolished. So me and my family had to move in with my, my aunt and uncle with their kids. And it was, uh, you know, two pretty decent sized families living together. So me and my brother had a Sega Genesis, uh, Our cousin and his brother had a Super Nintendo, but none of us had a PlayStation. So I would read the the video game magazines like, uh, you know, uh, GameSpot and stuff or not GameSpot. You know, I'm forgetting all the damn magazine names, but I would see (laughs) advertisements and full spread reviews for Resident Evil. And my 2D brain at the time just couldn't imagine how you would control this game because of all the different angles that I was seeing this game at. And I was just obsessed with how it looked. Something about it, the gritty, polygonal, like simple 3D graphics just looked so creepy to me for some reason in in these magazine uh, advertisements and reviews and walkthroughs. So I had, I think, two or three game mags at the time that just had full spread reviews. And I read those back to front, back to front, over and over again and when i finally got my playstation which was like a christmas later i was able to finally rent re1 and i rented the i think it was the director's cut that came with the re2 demo Mm -hmm. and i played it and it it was love at the the capcom screen like i just (laughs) i fell in love with it immediately
0: that's awesome that's fantastic so to that end what we always do with um any episode where we just focus on a specific game is go around and talk about our first experience with that game. So uh, what was everyone's first experience with the original Silent Hill? Jared, you might as well start us off since you're, you're doing the storytelling thing. What was your first experience with the original Silent Hill? Uh,
2: once Don't again, say Hurricane, I, right? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> once again, I, I rented it. Uh, me and my friend, uh, I was living in Miami at the time. We just went to the local game shop. And Silent Hill at the time had been released, but it wasn't a giant fan favorite yet you know it it took a little bit of time before it achieved that cult hit status
0: Mm.
2: so uh i was at a blockbuster the game was called silent hill it looked creepy as hell we knew nothing about it so me and my buddy took it back home and i remember it it seemed unique and interesting right off the bat like you can't start that game up without being interested in it but when i was really hooked was in i think it was Midwich elementary one of the first major areas of the game you walk into a bathroom and when you walk out you're in a completely different section like it it messed with my mind and i was like this is it this is the one i know i love this now
0: mm-hmm. uh, adam what was your first experience with the original silent hill
1: mine's a little different i think i to this day, have never played the original Silent Hill. Um, I got into the... It was a weird... I never had Silent Hill on the PlayStation, but my best friend did. Oh,
0: okay. And
1: I would crash over at his house most weekends. We would play games, you know. I was like 17, like we were like teenagers, whatever. Um, But I would obsessively watch him play Silent Hill. Excellent. Like, I don't know why, like, it never occurred to me to then be like, I'm going to get this game, because it almost became like a weird tradition where we would just mm-hmm. hang out, mm-hmm. snacks, shoot the s***, and he would play Silent Hill and I would be enraptured by it.
0: That's, um, I was really worried when I, when I asked you that. And you went, I've never played it. <laughs> 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 you realise what we're doing, which,
1: right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, which is why it's it's odd, because it's a game that I don't have any experience in playing but I have such great memories of spending time you know with one of my best friends and and just hanging out and just really enjoying it um and both of us being an age where it was kind I mean it's it's a weird game it's very Lynchian um so you know like when you're that age you like to kind of talk and philosophize about like what things could mean Mm-hmm. So I have a lot of really fond memories for a game that I've never played.
0: It's fantastically original. Uh, <laughs> Steve, what was your first experience with Silent Hill 1?
3: Uh, mine was a gift. I came to I came to Silent Hill 1 fairly late. I played Dino Crisis first, so it must have been 2000, 2001. Um yeah, I remember okay, yeah. I was I was young teenager guys, but I I was originally very like this isn't very good. It's all <laughs> blurry and foggy and <laughs> He sounds stupid, and then and then not unlike Jared, you get to the school, you persevere, and you get to the school after the like you know your little semi-open world exploring for like health drinks and ammo. And uh, I got hooked the second that you know the actual school transforms into its other world variant, and from there, yeah. like, yeah, I'm gonna just power through this now. All of a sudden, I like I get it. It's it's just like you know twisted dark worlds because maybe it's maybe it's my addiction to the links to the past and like you know, the whole dark world and that. But seeing, like, a mirrored version of the setting you're in always draws me in a little bit more. And I think that helped a lot. Um Yeah, it was a case of the second, the first few days I'd got it, I was, like, dithering around, like, the the original, like, open world section being like, Oh, this isn't very good. I'd rather fight yeah. dinosaurs. And then the second, <laughs> the second I persevere and get to Midwich, it, like, it exploded, you know? Um yeah. And, yeah, since then, just persevered through the series. There are some that I like, some that I don't like. Uh, yeah, it, it was a fun time. Just had to get over that initial barrier to entry, I suppose, of my own, I don't know, what you yeah. call it preferences, ego? Yeah, I know what English. you mean.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my, um, I'm very similar. I think, if I remember rightly, I vaguely remember playing, playing it for... A few minutes. I don't know if it was somebody's copy or if I rented it quite possibly due to my interest in Resident Evil. It would have been much later after release. But um, yeah, I vaguely remember tackling that opening segment and kind of struggling with it. I think maybe because it's a different pace to what I was used to and what I was expecting and hoping for being sort of told, you know, it's kind of like Resident Evil, but not. And I guess my brain was just hoping for more Resident Evil and I wasn't really open-minded enough. Uh, my proper experience with the first game, as you'll all be aware, is very, very recent. Um, I played it within the last few weeks for the first time, um, streaming that, which was a, a very enjoyable experience. Um, this time around, I picked it up pretty easily, but that's because I have played Silent Hill 2 and 3 already, um, mm. starting with the second game about five years ago now, when I was doing my own YouTube review thing. Um that's where I jumped onto the series. And yeah, played Silent Hill 3, which, you know, perhaps maybe not the greatest decision considering it's a direct follow-up to Silent Hill 1. So I kind of knew what I was getting into. Um, but in the same way, it definitely made for a different kind of experience when you're playing the first game and you you can look at, oh, this is what they kept. This is what they changed. This is how they updated that kind of thing. But for an all intents and purposes, um, whilst they're two very, their games on different systems, you know. Um, Saint Hill One and Two are very, very similar. Like they're uh, in the way that you can just pick them up and play them. They play almost identically, aside from some like quality of life tweaks and stuff like that. Um, so Silent Hill, to give a slight backstory, uh, development of the game started in 1996. And it kind of went into development hell for a while. Um, Team Silent, who was behind the game, was essentially a group of misfits within Konami that didn't really fit anywhere and had several failed projects under their belts. And Konami kind of just put them all together and asked them to make, I believe it was kind of like a game that would appeal to America or something, but they really struggled to come up with something. Um, And when they kind of shrugged off what Konami was asking for and focused on what they wanted to do, that's when they came up with Silent Hill, Uh, which finally released February 23rd, 1999, in North America and Europe, and then March 4th, 1999. So there's a lot to get through here. I think the best place to start is the atmosphere. Uh, Obviously, this is much more of a horror game uh, compared to the other big survival horror series which we're used to talking about. Um, there is way less action, like I say, a slower pace and stuff like that, and the atmosphere is going to be hugely important in a game like this. Back in 1999, especially so, um, and obviously now these things can wear with age, but it must be said, what I found most striking about all of this, taking away my own experience slightly, people jumping into my stream when I was playing this for the first time, pretty much everyone, especially if they hadn't experienced the game themselves uh, either, they all had the same reaction of, this is creepy AF. <laughs> mm-hmm. The game is 20 years old. And I had so many people going uh, coming in and being like, I feel very uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> which kind of reflects my opinion as well. Steve, what do you feel about the Silent Hill atmosphere? How, how recently have you played the game? Obviously, you saw me streaming it. So do you think it holds up? Uh, I'd say,
3: yeah. Fundamentally, it's still a fun game to experience. I'm not going to say like... You know, to play it is a satisfying thing, but to, mm-hmm. to actually be in the world, the, you know, it's an atmosphere you just don't get from the Resident, game, Res, the Resident Evil games. You know, there's always like that that air of safety in a safe room. You don't have that. The, the entire like ambience of the situation just kind of feels progressively more and more oppressive. Mm-hmm. You know, the further you get in, the worse it gets. To the right. point when you, in the end game, you generally feel sick, or at least the the, the general like ambience of the entire situation genuinely starts to like. It gets under my skin. It makes it feel very uncomfortable. But no, overall, I think it's it's best when there's less characters talking. You know, any parts where it stops to try and tell the story, it feels a little, little less interesting to me. But the atmosphere itself of the town, of the places, the locations, they always have a way of getting under your skin. Even in the outdoors, in the daytime, you know, that mm-hmm. can be very just like hauntingly quiet. And yeah,
0: I'm... I think, rumbling, no, no, no. It's no, <laughs> fine. You, I think you definitely hit some good points. I think I agree with that. I hadn't really thought about it, but it, it it's most effective when you're just kind of let off your leash and you do feel unsafe because there is nowhere to go and you don't know what's coming next. And it's not really, it, like Resident Evil, it's not really jump scary focus. It's not like, oh, I'm worried to go around this corner because something might pop out on me. That happens, what, once, twice in Silent Hill, I can think of, maybe? There's not really any jump scares. It's more about the mood, and you're right. It's just this uneasy mood that starts off and just slowly but surely gets worse and worse and worse until right at the end of the game. Uh, Well, let me just just
3: frame a scene. Let me just frame a scene for you, okay? You just enter a room. It's pitch darkness. There's rusted metal along the floor. You can't see to the end of the room, and all you can hear is the, the static of the radio going. You know, no other game does that where, you know, I mean, yeah, you'll hear enemies shuffling in the distance on a Resi game and stuff like that. Mm. But when you just like hear an overbearing, like, and the, the static is increasing, but you still haven't seen what's there yet, that's mm. the kind of atmosphere I really appreciate about, appreciate about yeah.
0: these games, especially Absolutely. this one. Definitely. Jared, how do you feel about the atmosphere?
2: It is, without a doubt, like th- the most unique atmosphere I've ever experienced because Resident Evil had this very confined feeling especially the first game you were in this mansion and while there were certain areas where there was a window that you could kind of sort of see out of if you're like me you're probably playing it on a PS1 with an RF connection so there was no detail that you could actually make out in the dark areas but there was this kind of idea of a world existing outside the mansion and even with RE2 I enjoyed so much these sections of uh, Raccoon City in the very beginning, but you were on such this this closed course almost. You know, it right. th- the idea of the city existing around you was always there, but you had to imagine that. Whereas Silent Hill, the second you started up, you have you know access to a gigantic portion of the town, and it felt a little more fluid making your way through it. Instead of with RE2 having crash cars lining your path getting to the precinct um silent hill kind of felt like you stumbled across the right place to go if that makes any sense mm-hmm. kind of like um it, it was an open world and you just happened upon the next storyline trigger right it, it it felt like like you said before lynchian the the town itself had a an air of mystery to it and you i didn't really know why i thought that you know, but it was just visually so mysterious. No one was here. You had so many questions. Uh, where's my daughter? Why has no one come out to check on the car crash that just happened, like on a main <laughs> road? Um like what's going on here? Why why are there air raid sirens playing now? It, it they did such a good job of making you feel like you were in a town that no one was in. And I I think that's inherently creepy. Like, I think I, I've driven through uh, Centralia, Pennsylvania on tour once, and just driving through and seeing a, a town with buildings everywhere and main streets with no one anywhere it was just inherently creepy to me. And I think that's why Silent Hill's atmosphere is so unique, because you could be surrounded by people. You're just not,
1: you right.
0: know? Yeah, the absence of something where it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you're right, there is... I mean, obviously, we love Resident Evil, we're a Resident Evil podcast, so this sounds like a bigger knock than it is. Resident Evil 2 is my favourite game of all time. But it is, of when you think about it gameplay-wise, you're, you're in a box, and then there's, there's some stuff around it that you could, like you say, imagine is there, the rest of the city. But the RPD, boom, you're in a gameplay box. Silent Hill does feel more like a splash of paint that can, you know, go in any direction. There's darkness everywhere. Who knows where the, like, confines of this area actually are. Adam, how do you feel about the atmosphere of the game?
1: Um, I would say the atmosphere is the single biggest selling point of this Mm -hmm. game, and it's the reason I was able to watch a game be played at 17 and not play it and still be entirely drawn into it. Um, It does what it does pretty masterfully. Even nowadays, um, it's very oppressive. It has such an oppressive feeling to it. Um, it's not like a, like I, I describe Resident Evil as fun horror. Mm. Like I'm never really scared at Resident Evil. I I'm on edge maybe sometimes, but like with Silent Hill, there was definitely a real feeling of like dread, um, Mm. which is not something that many games can do. Um, you know, from its very good use of, well, I guess forced use of darkness and fog, um, because of the technical limitations, but it does that so well. And the static of the radio, the the almost poor controls of your character, like not being able to run too well and, mm. and being bad at aiming, and um, all of this just layers on the, a, a kind of hopeless feeling. Um, but in in a good way, um, and you know, it's it's definitely something that the game has in spades. Um, you mm. never really feel comfortable there. There is a, a tendency in games as you get towards sort of the third act where you sort of almost feel like a bit of a powerhouse. You're used to the game. You're used to the, the controls. You have built up somewhat of an arsenal. And I feel like in Silent Hill, that probably never felt the case. We never felt that we were prepared for the next thing. Mm. Um, and it's, it, it creates a, a very good experience. Um yes. So yeah, atmosphere. Atmosphere was key to this game, to and and I think it still is. Yes. Um, I did watch. I did watch some some of the game to sort of prep and remind myself. Um, and it's. I mean, it, it's a little rough, you know. It's twenty one years old or whatever. Um, it's but it still has atmosphere, which is which is its key component.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's why I wanted to start off with it. Obviously, atmosphere is the big. The big thing here, and both of you guys said the word, That's the first word in my notes, which is oppressive. It's almost like too obvious, but that is really the word, isn't it? Like, it gets under your skin, it stays with you, um, and it ramps up slowly and slowly, more and more as you go until the end when it's, yeah, it's this all-consuming feeling that you can't shake, and then you've got these big crescendoing scenes that come to the end that just... I just sort of leave you with this horrible feeling that not many video games can make you satisfied that you'd experience them, but at the same time, you come away feeling empty and kind of sad. Um, yeah, like, very but, hollow, yeah. Right, but that's that's the brilliance of it, you know. That's the, It's not just, hey, let's have a fun time. Also, you might have some spooks when something jumps out of a locker or something, <laughs> right? right? It's, it is a transformative experience, and... We're talking about the original game, but it's worth mentioning, when I played Silent Hill 2 for the first time, after not really experiencing the series, I, I had that moment of, man, I really missed out on here. Like, the big crescendo in that game, for me, remains one of the most important scenes in video game history. I, it's mm-hmm. so effective. but what yeah. and, and it was striking, because I played it, you know, 10, 15 years later, later, or whatever it was. Um But having played Silent Hill 1 now, 21 years later after release, and... Maybe not the quite the same extent as Silent Hill 2, but having a similar feeling when you get to those big scenes near the end. Um, I mean, we're, we can get a little bit, you know, spoilery in here. The game's 21 years old. Um, yeah. People know what they're in for when they're listening to this podcast. But stuff like Lisa's death... And the carousel scene, so, spoilers, I got the bad ending, right? So I had to fight Sybil yeah. at the carousel. And Stuff like that I was <laughs> like, oh my God, what's going on? This is awful. I'm having a horrible time, but I'm not. I'm having a great time. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, In preparation for this, I also watched Jacob's Ladder. Has anybody seen that Ooh. film? Yes. I thought you might have done. Um, so Jacob's Ladder was a big inspiration for Silent Hill's style Um Jared, what do you think of the film? Uh, is it, is it, if you can remember, I don't know when you last saw it.
2: Oh, I can remember, yeah. my So here's an interesting thing. I don't, for someone who plays as many horror games, survival horror games, I don't like uh, very many horror movies. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, for some reason, uh, your typical horror movie just doesn't do anything for me, but I do make specific exceptions for zombie movies, which always freaked me out ever since I was a, a preteen and uh psychological thrillers and psychological horror um and that's that's why I love Silent Hill so much, but also Jacob's Ladder. You can see the influence mm-hmm. in nearly every single game. I think every every game has a different inspiration. With Silent Hill three, you had a huge Jacob's Ladder feeling to it, and with Silent Hill two, it was more of a Crime and Punishment type of deal. Sure, but uh, Jacob's Ladder did what Silent Hill does so well, where every scene that happened, you were left wondering: Did wait, did that did that really happen? Did right. I witness? reality or was this one of the fantasy things going on in someone's head they did way too good of a job to try and convince me which makes me think that this was fake
0: <laughs> yeah for sure uh, it's uh there's a lot of not knowing what's real in that film and a lot of like keeping you waiting to find out mm-hmm. what is real or even what's going to happen next yeah. i don't want to spoil the film i would definitely say for people who are uh, fans of silent hill should definitely watch it Um, for sure it it has a similar mood and you can see the through line there there's one scene in it in particular which feels very kind of almost like the other side from silent hill and it's horrible but it's so fleeting and it leaves you like wondering what the hell yeah it's i really really enjoyed it and it left me with that same hollow feeling that we were talking about Mm. Um, it's not a comfortable watch um, but it's it's super interesting Time.
2: For sure. Yeah. You know what? It, it, it's, it's bittersweet mm. because the entire time you're wondering, uh, it's it just, I, I think it's just naturally a person when you're watching a piece of media, like a TV show or a movie or playing a game, you, you want to get to the point where you figure out what this has all been about. And with Jacob's ladder and with silent Hill, like you're describing, once you do get to that point, you have the satisfying feeling, Oh, I've gotten to the point now where everything has been laid bare. And I now understand what's been going on. And it is something that is terrible. And I wish I didn't know about it. And I feel bad for wanting to know this entire time because now I'm just sad because this is not a good thing that's happening. And now that I know about it, I can't unknow this. You know, it's it's (laughs) such a bittersweet moment of, yeah, I wonder what's going to happen. Oh, I wish that wouldn't happen.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This is very true. Um, So in terms of, uh, atmosphere and oppressiveness we'll stay with that for just a little bit let's talk about sound design we obviously talk about mm. sort of like the static and the air raid siren and stuff and similarly obviously it's a huge part of the atmosphere um, and that helps it in those kind of feelings where it gets grander Not maybe not grander is not the word it's not bombastic or anything like that but more um, unavoidable <laughs> um, there's scenes mm. later in the game Steve we particularly remember this when I was playing through it when you get to uh the nowhere segment of the game and you're climbing to the top of that building which is kind of the hospital but it's not and you know uh, and there's a room near the top i think it's called the chapel maybe even um oh it's gosh. just awful just uh, yeah i can't even know i don't i still don't know how to describe that it's just <laughs> uh, it's kind of a mess but it's very uh carefully <laughs> a very carefully made mess uh steve please go ahead talk about the sound design if you can
3: it's, uh, okay, coming from the perspective of the time, you know, RE1, Dino Crisis 1, RE2, uh, well, in my particular case, anyway, um, mm-hmm. the sound design is leagues above, like, strangely, the, the guns all sound weaker and less, uh, less exciting, but mm-hmm. everything else, like, that, the monsters themselves, like, the, the unholy friggin' howl of, like, the dogs and the, the constant flap of the I mean, bat things. I'm not sure what the proper names are. Sorry, guys. You know, these <laughs> ain't hunters or lickers, you know? Yeah. Um, but they, every unique creature. I mean, the the horrible moaning of the, the nurses and stuff. That's just the, the, the creatures. Then you've got like the ambient, like, I'm sure it's a musical track, but, like the home of the city itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, like, well, town. It's a small town, Steve, not a city. Get it right. <laughs> You'll be upset. Um, you know, just that, that, oh. mm-hmm. like, all, all that stuff. Like, mm-hmm. it's. It's leagues above, like Resident Evil's normally got like some kind of really groovy little track playing in the background or, you know, trumpets farting in a basement, you know? <laughs> it's, I would say that's probably its standout, its sound design. The, mm-hmm. the atmosphere, it exudes. Like, the problem is I'm not very sophisticated in getting my point across.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. Like, yeah, I get you. Uh, yeah.
2: I totally I 100% agree with you uh since we're we're doing so much comparing let's keep it going uh, Resident Evil felt like an indie film with its soundtrack it was very simplistic it was very effective like the Resident Evil 1 soundtrack the OG RE soundtrack is still one of the most atmospheric like ambient things I've ever listened to I I routinely listen to Resident Evil music when I write my scripts even for non-horror stuff because of how um you can just fall into it without having to listen to a lot of complicated note structure. Yeah. Whereas Silent Hill had a very grating sound to it at times. Like Akira Yamaoka included a lot of very industrial sounds, like, like two uh, steel kegs slamming together over and over again, that kind of a just, like, I, I shouldn't enjoy listening to this, but something <laughs> about it is, is lulling me in. So you had the quietness where you assumed there would be music, And then, like you said, all you have is non musical things going on in the background, like ambient tones that are just happening, but they don't have like a musical structure. They're just going on. And then you have times when you're supposed to be stressed out and it's this grating mechanical noise of like gears smashing into each other. And like there's one track where it's just a looping scream that he's pitch shifted. And it, it, this should not sound good. Like <laughs> describing it now, like, Hey, can you have one person who's in terror? Just record that and loop <laughs> it over and over again. It He does such a good job of mirroring the atmosphere of the game because the interesting thing about the music, it, it's you want to hear more of it, even though on the surface, this is not something that sounds palatable or good. Like mm. you wouldn't, you wouldn't want this to fall asleep to, right like this is not a soothing music, but something about it you, you want to keep listening. I don't know it, it mirrors the game in that sense I think
0: yeah it's and now that you, I think about it and you're talking about all the strange ways um, that the atmosphere was created the atmospheric noise and hum mm. it's I don't know without deeper diving into it but it, I'm gonna say that this is one of the first games that just created just an atmospheric noise. Like, when you think about mm. video game music beforehand, mostly it's stuff that resembles songs, <laughs> you know, right, even right. if they're brief loops. Um, and obviously with the advent of the PlayStation, uh, you could experiment more, um, and there was more option to do things like that that you wouldn't be able to do with a 16-bit sound chip or anything really like that. You couldn't really have too much that was just an atmospheric nothingness, Um so, yeah, something very, very original. Uh, Adam, how do you feel about the audio design?
1: Uh, another thing that really goes along with the atmosphere, I think it's a, almost a masterclass in, in audio design. It's palatable, like like um, Jared was saying. like it, it remains palatable, but it's still bizarre. Mm. Um, you know, it's the sound of, like, car engines, which sounds like dull maybe, but like just the way the way it is, like uh, dripping taps, you know um, mm. all this kind of like generic noise turned into something horrific mm. um, and it's it's just really, really well done, it's something it's definitely one of the things that kind of stuck with me um, after the game um, it's again, it's oppressive, it's it's all part of this great, great atmosphere. Um, and I think that the the weapons sounding weaker is, is on purpose. Um, I think that you feel muted with your weapons. And every noise around you feels amplified. Mm. As if, like, we're louder than you and we're scarier than you. <laughs> and, and you kind of just... Deal with it with your little weak noises. <laughs> um. <laughs> mm. um, you know, that yes. makes a lot
2: of sense, actually. Mm. That kind of plays into the yeah. gameplay where the guns aren't super effective like they would be in a Resident Evil game. Uh, you know, you can miss with your gun, you know, even though you're locked onto the enemy. That, mm. that kind of fits.
0: We've arrived perfectly then at (laughs) gameplay. We've talked a little bit about Adam. You mentioned how he's kind of uh, Harry, the main character, is a bit more difficult to control than perhaps we were used to at the time. Um, It's interesting because he's got a lot more options at his disposal compared to other Resident Evil characters up to this point. Um, Obviously, Resident Evil 3 is just around the corner, but Silent Hill beat out of the gate with the quick turn. He can strafe. Most importantly, he can move and shoot. Uh, but Harry sucks in combat which is
3: <laughs> which is intentional he can, do this. he can jump on the ceiling but he's crap but he's crap at it he can do all
0: of that but it doesn't actually help because he's just a normal dude right way out of his depth in this place I mean it feels like the place doesn't want him to be there obviously when you look at the story it's quite the reverse almost um, but yeah you, you feel way out of your depth in terms of the uh, with the controls and stuff like that and I I Again, having played a Silent Hill game beforehand, uh, I kind of picked it up pretty easily. I found the camera pretty disorientating sometimes, but that, again, was not untrue of other Silent Hill games I've played, and oh. I didn't really have a problem with it. Um, Steve, how do you feel about the the overall gameplay?
3: Uh, what, the, the combat loop and exploration sure. and stuff? yeah, and
0: exploration, yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah I, I genuinely, like... Part of my first time through, okay, as I, as I was saying earlier, the, the reason that I was at a sticking point like, going around this open world segment because there's some I – don't, I don't think it happens often, but there's points we have to actually hit, like, a specific trigger for certain bits of story to, like, mm-hmm. go, like, you know, I need to go to the doghouse. You can literally walk around the entire bit of that opening area of South Hill. If you don't pick up those papers that say check out the doghouse, you don't even look in it for the key. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just – I had, like – God knows, like 60, 70 rounds and eight health drinks before I actually progressed in the story the first time. <laughs> that, that I do remember a lot that I was like, I was geared up. But uh, overall, like the, the, the actual exploration of things the combat with enemies, it's serviceable. I like the fact that the melee weapons generally have a, a, le- a lot more impact and effectiveness, which yeah. gives to that a whole riskiness because you actually have to get close to these abominations to take them down until you get the hammer and then it's the wind button. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, uh, even then, you you tool up and you get the hammer, and then the game throws these, like, I don't know what you call them. They look like weird stretched, like, bug monster things with long arms, like if a Chimera had skin uh, for our Resi (laughs) fans. You know, they're okay. Uh, I think the most memorable enemy for me, though, is either the the little hoodie guys with the knives or the nurses themselves, but the nurses don't really come into it until the second game, let's be honest. It's got, like, a weird wart
0: on the back in this one. Right, yeah, Um, yeah.
3: Although, there, no, actually, there, there is one, because it scared the hell out of you on the stream. I remember those little, those uh, black ghosts,
0: those,
2: those <laughs> ghosts. Oh, I'm so glad other people jump at those noises yes. they make, because uh, you'll hear the static, and you'll be like, there's an enemy around, and you'll hear that, like, little yip noise they mm. make, and just jump out of your seat for a quick second. Yeah, yeah.
0: I'm glad you mentioned that, because I was gonna I was definitely going to bring that up, but... It's almost like an organic jump scare. They're not like, you know, jumping out of doorways as you walk past. They're just in the room where you're there, but they just kind of appear out of nowhere, make a noise, and then vanish, and you're like, what the hell was that the first time you experienced it? Yeah,
3: but then, then Sound Hill changes up on you, like, oh, by the time you got used to them, you hear a yip, and you just see a little black silhouette, oh, it's fine, oh, it's stabbing me in the shins. <laughs> yeah.
0: You know, um,
3: so there is a, list, a little bit of mix-up there.
0: Mm-hmm. That's fair, that's Good. fair. Good uh adam how do you feel about the gameplay overall i know you didn't play it but uh yeah
1: it's weird because i didn't play it but um going back and looking at i feel like maybe the game which is odd because it's such a beloved game but i think maybe the gameplay is one of its weakest um points it's not doing anything super exciting um it's more of like the conduit just to keep you going Mm. Um, it's enough. I feel like the camera does a lot more work than in Resident Evil for that. Sure. You know, you you have like a great example is at the beginning when when you things start to turn and you run down the alley and the camera does like a kind of weird shift um yeah. on you. I think that that helps the gameplay if that makes any sense. Like the the dynamism of that kind of actually helps you continue to play the game. Because I feel like again limited limited uh, experience here, but the one thing that seemed maybe I wasn't too upset about not playing it because the gameplay itself didn't seem super thrilling.
0: That's fair enough. I can kind of understand what you mean to a to a degree. I would argue that mm-hmm. there there are elements of it that are even today are pretty. Uh exciting like and this doesn't necessarily come down to like the core gameplay but the stuff that it feels open world like steve was saying like oh
1: yeah for sure that and part, again yeah. that's something i didn't experience firsthand right. so it was is a it, it's a little less hard to or it's a little more hard to talk about kind of the sure. gameplay yeah, of because course. of that
0: yeah that's um looking back on it at least uh really interesting to see it yeah just kind of you here and as Steve said you just kind of you can run around like a headless chicken until you figure out where the hell you can go Um, obviously in uh, correlation to that what's so exciting compared to Resident Evil is that Harry actually does stuff with his map which is something that goes into future games so you'll be exploring the town and you'll realise that there's a big hole in the ground here and it's marked on the map and you'll find a new route Um, yeah that's that's, that was
1: awesome that's the most and the um, fact that you couldn't look at your map if it's dark (laughs) <laughs> yeah that that as well That's yeah so clever
0: yeah it's very i was a realistic that doesn't seem right but it's all very well linked together uh, jared how do you feel about the gameplay
2: i so i think it is deceptively simple mm-hmm. but almost genius in the way it's laid out when when you get below the surface because if you were just going to describe it to somebody it would be pretty easy so uh there's uh a pattern you explore the town itself the exterior area until you find an interior area and then it's almost like a like a dungeon right so you're you're stuck in this interior area until you solve all the puzzles mm-hmm. you get to the end of it and then it pops you back out to the town section where you explore until you find a new interior area and that repeats over and over again and there's almost little to no variation in it but that's like the surface level stuff. There's all kinds of things that are going on within that that is just, it's, it's genius to me. Like when you're in an interior area, there's a point where you start, you start to kind of feel fatigued. The, uh, you've explored all of the rooms you can and you don't have keys for anything else. And you kind of feel like you've seen everything this area has to offer. And at least for me personally, round about that point, is when you would transition to the other world. And now you have an area that is vaguely familiar, but like structurally different. And you're going into areas you couldn't get into before. And areas you could get into before are now very different. And they might hold key items or, or things that would help you solve a puzzle. I, that to me, I, I think they kind of stumbled across it on accident, and it ended up just randomly falling into place, just being some just next level game design, I think.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, when you're talking about moving into the other side and stuff, and you mentioned the specific example of the toilets where you uh, you walk in and walk out and you're on a different floor. Mm-hmm. For me as well, it's a moment of like, this is, uh, how do people come up with these ideas? <laughs> yeah. um, and again, that ties back into what I was saying with the map as well, actually having to use that to, to really figure out where you are and what's going on and how to navigate. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I mean a,
2: pro- a proper Silent Hill playthrough uh is not complete unless you've looked at the map four times in around six seconds just in
0: sure
2: <laughs> that, that turn, right?
0: That's exactly what my stream felt like is me just like, oh, sorry exactly, guys, I yeah. gotta like stare at this and zoom in and out and yeah, <laughs> no, but that's a, you're right, that is a big part of it. That's what you should be yeah. expecting. Um
2: like and, I and at a I, the I, theme park. <laughs> I will say this. Uh I think the combat is actually more uh mechanically satisfying than resident evil combat because you you mentioned it with with the more melee focus it it forces you to get in close and you know with the first resident evil game and even the second resident evil game at the time we weren't used to melee based combat in those games because the knife was almost a non-starter like Mm -hmm. yeah they gave it to you but If you need to use the knife, just go ahead and reset the game. You've already screwed yourself too far. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I think Silent Hill... Okay, so let's get off on a rant a little bit. Um, I think survival horror combat is very much misunderstood both by people who don't like it and by people who do like it. Because a lot of times, uh, if you do like it, and, and this is totally understandable, you want to justify you liking it so a lot of times people search for these really like genius game design reasons why the combat is uh less mechanically satisfying than say playing a devil may cry game or, or something where you have you press a button you have an immediate reaction you it's like a skinner box whereas in resident evil there's a lot of strategy involved there's a lot you have to have a, a fairly intimate knowledge of the way the controls work to do well and a fairly intimate knowledge in the way that the game is set up so that you know when to use items, when to use ammo, this and that. It's less satisfying to play if you don't understand survival horror very well than you know a Gears of War game would be. And a lot of fans of the series tend to say, oh, well, that's on purpose. They did that to increase the, the dread and the atmosphere. I don't think that's the case. I think that ended up being a very cool coincidence but what they were trying to do is uh, mimic a lot of the gameplay seen in Alone in the Dark, which was the first game we had ever seen that played out yeah. like a Resident Evil game with your uh, your nearly pre-rendered angles and your, your fixed camera and readying a weapon and pressing a button to use it. They were just aping that style, and it just so happened to really increase the uh, tension in the game because you knew if you came across an enemy... Even if you got into combat with it, which typically that's 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 your out. It's like, okay, I'll just kill it real quick, and then it will no longer be a danger. But the process of killing an enemy is still a huge risk in RE games because they could lunge at you, they could get close. Even if you have your handgun readied and aimed at them, if you take one more shot than you predicted to kill them, they could get in close and and lunge in. And with Silent Hill, the melee focus made that less of a thing but I I don't know I I feel like people tend to uh, use the well Harry's a regular guy thing Mm -hmm. I think Harry being a regular guy means he wouldn't be able to melee better than a stars (laughs) member right I I think I I think that that's just one of those things that and and this isn't like you know throwing any shade but when you love something you tend to want to justify it to people (laughs) who don't get into it so that's how we describe it like oh Harry's a normal guy that's why he's bad at combat um, I remember the same excuse being used, but in the inverse for Resident Evil or um Silent Hill Homecoming, where it's like, oh, well, he's a, you know, he's a soldier, he's he's a combat bet. That's why he's so much better at, at combat than the other uh characters in the series. And then the story goes, and I don't want to ruin anything, but totally makes that sound ridiculous because that's not the case at all. <laughs> I, I think we we tend to really want to find reasons to justify outside of, hey, I really like this. Uh, it's like, oh, yeah, well, well, Harry's just a regular guy, so that's why I'm so bad at that. No, I, I think that they probably weren't the best at at um, uh, putting in combat in a game. They were clearly very good at laying out exploration and staggering the story events so that you always had a, a trail of breadcrumbs to follow. Mm-hmm. But as far as combat goes, I enjoy the hell out of it, but I think people who don't like it are totally justified because it's not uh, what I would describe as what someone should do nowadays as far as good game design goes, I I think someone could probably take a better stab at it. But I, I still love it to death. I love the combat in Silent Hill games.
0: Sure. For me, it's one of the lesser things, definitely, which is why I'm like... Referencing the map and, and the exploration, that was much right. more of the interest, and I think that's generally true, but definitely take your point, most certainly. Um, obviously, the other thing in the gameplay uh, is puzzles. Um, I found the puzzles myself to be kind of a mix. Most were fine. Um, I got them, and I enjoyed them, and I enjoyed getting them myself without looking them up. Um, I did have to do a little bit of sneaking online for a couple of them, um, mm. which, which was, you know, that's... Just <laughs> But also partly comes down to being self-aware on a stream, I think. Um, but all the same, I would never have figured out that that one was down to how many legs they had. But but Steve Steve was in the chat telling me that's what it was, and I was like completely that's ignoring what I him I out, Okay, Four shame, sorry. I,
3: I did this before GameFAQs Mother Flumper, <laughs> all right.
0: and that's just how your brain works. But I liked do like the piano one. I found particularly uh, interesting, and and reading through the notes and stuff to put the coloured items in, uh, the coloured like, uh, I don't know what they're called, the, the, the little square items, I can't remember what they were called, in the school. Um, but, but stuff like that, I wasn't, I was shocked because they weren't quite as obscure as I've been led to believe. I've always had the Silent Hill puzzles since day one, have always just been like rubbing weird items together until something happens. Um, but for the most part, I didn't really struggle too much. Steve, uh, <laughs> other than counting legs, how do you feel about the puzzles?
3: Uh, Honestly, I remember most of them being fairly more uh, interesting than uh, the... I know it's it's come up a lot already, but, uh, you know, the Resident Evil contemporaries which are normally just find objects in slot, Mm -hmm. you know, or shove box into place, climb on box, you win. You know, in Silent Hill, there's normally a little bit of like, you know, a code to decipher or you've got to like, you know, actually think about what the clues are telling you like the piano puzzle. You could just hit keys for hours and not know what you're doing. You know, or the... um, There's a in the nowhere segment there's like a a board with like an entire keyboard's worth of buttons and the only clue you've got to go on is like the grim reapers list Mm. and you have to you know you have to spell a word out and it's just stuff like that is a lot more involved and i I kind of appreciate this um the closest thing that the re games have got is the ada mole puzzle you know we have to like figure out the code on the the wall uh generally though i i actually think it's it's undersold at how interesting some of them are. I mean, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong, there are still plenty of find objects, shove-in slot. But um, For example, there's a puzzle you don't even realise is a puzzle. Like, uh, there's a sword in a fridge. You can take the sword and you can throw <laughs> it away. But if
0: you don't, you get yanked, and
3: you get basically lovecrafted into a fridge. It's... Um, yeah,
0: yeah. Yep. And then you time. have to replay the last 20 minutes of the game like I did. <laughs> uh, Adam, do you remember struggling with the puzzles back when you fr- played it with your
1: friend? Yeah, we used to get really annoyed with these things, you know. We were, <laughs> we, Perils of youth. We, yeah, exactly. We definitely weren't the the puzzle type of guys. But, I mean, I just remember that, like, I mean, it would be hours, but we would get through them. Mm-hmm. Um, there wasn't too much internet. Sure, um, yeah, yeah. You, it, Do you remember the the guides that were all, like, text-based that did, like, fun like pictures with like lines and Ascii symbols itself, yeah, oh, for, yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. we we were using one of those so um <laughs> so yeah that was i mean some of them aren't too bad but it's def they're definitely a lot more fiendish than resident evil puzzles absolutely yeah um and a lot more frustrating um but but that's a good thing hard puzzles are, aren't a bad thing i don't think so yeah for sure it definitely
0: Again, one, like there was a lot in here that separates it from, you know, its contemporaries. Uh, I think that was a right decision to go. It fits more with the mood of the game, and it's a right decision to go yes down that as well. For sure. It
1: adds to the atmosphere, that yes. kind of despair and oppressiveness of being like here's something that you really have to use your brain mm. to do
0: i mean and yeah that and that's where we're going to move on to the story as well and, and it, it sort of ties into the feeling of the story being very vague as well but we'll, we'll mm-hmm. get to that very shortly uh just to just to wrap up jared how do you feel about the puzzles in silent hill One?
2: Oh, i love them i i love them <laughs> they are different from i think resident evil puzzles are more mechanical mm-hmm. move this here this reaction happens, whereas Silent Hill will give you a poem and say, "Hey, why don't you decipher what tarot cards go here?" You know, um, <laughs> I I enjoy that, but I <clears throat> I can see why some people might not. There's something about puzzles for me. I don't necessarily like them because they do grind gameplay to a halt to a degree. Uh, but I realized I was playing some. Uh, indie like 2D game called Cross Code. And I was playing the puzzles and I realized I was having as much fun as the gameplay. And I figured out like if your puzzles are structured right, they'll feel like gameplay and not like uh like stop breaks, you know, just okay, you've been exploring and now you've gotten to a part where you're gonna have to decipher something. And typically that probably wouldn't be fun, but if you put it in the right setting and the puzzle makes sense in context of the game, you feel like you're still doing the same thing you were doing before you're figuring this world out just via the puzzle you know I, I i think they're pretty masterful
0: in that way absolutely well said i say well said um so yeah let's tie up a little bit with the story um so uh silent hill the original silent hill begins with a pre-roll of footage which isn't included in the actual opening cutscene which is an interesting choice uh which yeah starts with a car accident Harry Mason on the way to the town of Silent Hill with his daughter, who suddenly goes missing. Uh, And then from there, a series of incredibly strange events happen, uh, which, yeah, just becomes more a mountain of questions more than anything else. The story is, and the backstory of the town and the characters there as well in particular, is incredibly vague, intentionally so. Um, It's very easy to play through the game and just kind of go, meh, to a lot of it, I feel like. Um, mm. But then, once you start to read into it and you piece it together, uh, it's really, really interesting as well. I know, Jared, you're in particular a very big fan of this story. Say over some of the others um, in the series. Yeah, sure. mm-hmm. Do you think that the story hiding itself work more in the favor of the game?
2: I think it. I think it. Did. So it, it, one hundred percent works in favor of the game because you can take any level of uh, commitment. To right. the story and still get a satisfying. So, from when I first played it, I got the bad ending. Where uh, spoiler alert: Harry ends up just having died in the car crash, essentially. And you're kind, you're 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 just going through his dying mind, essentially. And that's why nothing makes sense, and it's all dream logic. And I thought that was one of the most satisfying endings. I was like, "Oh, that makes so much sense. That's so cool. It was a cool twist." And I was young at the time, so I hadn't seen this been used in every piece of media ever. <laughs> it was a little less uh, gimmicky, but then as I got older and I replayed the game, I started seeing there was all this stuff underneath the surface that I just had had never put together and had never seen. I for you know. Uh, with uh, White Claudia, the drug they used. At first, I thought that was a really uh, sloppy move because it didn't really tie into it. It's like they mentioned this drug ring, and then a cop dies. And I was like, ah, that doesn't have anything to do with like demons or a cult or anything. Mm-hmm. And then you start to see that that's how the cult kind of financed themselves, and then that's how they also won uh like favor and they, they got control of politicians locally and it, it all comes together if you read every single little file that you come across and if you pay attention to every cutscene and what exactly is said but you don't have to do that you can play the game and just kind of not pay attention to it and then towards the end you still have a story there that's kind of satisfying and and it has so many openings that you can Insert your own logic into it, which leads it leads to a lot of fan theories that it. it makes so much sense. They made a story that just screams, "Hey, theorize what's happening here," and I think that's cool. But then people start taking those theories and running with them. And then if you go to Silent Hill wikis right now, fan theories are explanations for actual story events that are explained in game, and it kills me (laughs) like i get it like those i for for me personally when i first played silent hill the existence of the town to me was more of a metaphor for like a a mental state right Mm. It, it felt to me like the ending where he died that's that's what silent hill is is this place inside your mind that you go to and it's very specific to each person and personal that was my reading of the story because that's what I wanted it to be. And that's that's cool. I know that's not the case now, obviously, but where that would be an issue is if, if somebody asked me what happened in a Silent Hill game, if that's what I explained to them, that's where the issue comes up because it's not at all. And there's a lot of stuff that happens in the game that you could point at and say, no, it says this specifically happened. Uh-huh. And people go like, no, no, the other world is, is definitely like a, a different universe or something. And I'm like, oh, it kills me so bad. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I can understand that completely actually because um, it's yeah, it's vague enough where mm-hmm. people, yeah, there's a lot of coming to your own conclusions but there is kind of, there's a right answer. There's a story there, um, yeah. you, just, you have to dig for it. Adam, how did you feel about the plot? Again, was this something that maybe didn't have too much of an impact when you guys were younger?
1: Um, it definitely did but in it's funny because I exactly mirror what Jared said, I we got the bad ending, mm-hmm. um, which is fine. I actually, again, just like Jared, I thought that was an amazing ending. Yeah. Um, I <laughs> and I and we obviously talked about it, and also came to the conclusion that Silent Hill is this place like purgatory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, it's a place where you end up upon death or near death, and and your actions there potentially skew what happens to you or anything. It it was a A massive talking point and and going back the game gives you plenty to work with Mm -hmm. but the joy the joy in the plot is is that kind of like because of the atmosphere and because of the secretive nature of the gameplay i think that that eggs you on to to being more thoughtful about your own ideas about the game, regardless of how concrete it is.
0: Right, yeah, sure.
1: I I really... I mean, it stuck with me. Silent Hill 1, like, just... I still like to think... I know it's not the case, like Jared said, but I still like to think of Silent Hill as this weird mind area, you know? (laughs) Um, It's very fascinating.
0: Indeed. Steve, how do you feel about the overall plot? Uh,
1: Okay, so...
3: First time through... I went through it, pretty much just eventually got to the end and I got the bad ending, as it seems we have all done. Yay. <laughs> You're a bad ending team. Um, but then when it said ending bad, immediately went back in and kept plowing through until I literally got like good, good plus, bad plus, mm-hmm. and the UFO ending, which is obviously the true canon. Um, <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> um and while I did, I can safely say I enjoy it. I still don't know what the hell's going on after time. Like, like Jared. <laughs> Jared, you're like I'm gonna I'm gonna just put you in the seat as the professional Sound Hill like guy right now.
2: Let, let's see if you're right. Let's find out.
0: Yeah, Jared, so, please so, go ahead. Please give us a rundown of the plot.
3: Well, that's what <laughs> I was gonna say. I'm gonna I'm gonna just I'm gonna just throw something at Jared, and he can tell me if I'm like no, you're wrong. Okay, so let's see. Right, they wanted to birth a god. Is that right? That is right. Okay, um, they uh, like it's a group, a mixture of cult members and people in power with this drug.
1: Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What the hell is a flowerose?
2: <laughs> okay
1: you so, know what i mean
2: yeah the floweros charm
1: is, it's it's that charm thing right yes yeah
2: it, it's uh so it's given to you as uh throughout the story um you're kind of told that cheryl who is being controlled now is uh is doing negative things right throughout the entire story. Dahlia is telling you like, Oh, you've got to stop this because the other world coming in all these demonic uh, like presences that's coming from the things that Cheryl's being done as she's essentially possessed by her other half. Right. Yeah. Which in the case, it's the opposite. Um, the little markings all around town and stuff are to keep these things from happening and to keep for the demon God from being born and the other world slipping into reality is uh an unwanted side effect of when cheryl's being controlled this this hell that she's been living in because she's essentially comatose would burn injuries all over her body third degree burns all over her body and because of the magic that the cult used to keep her alive, her wounds never heal as well. So she's been in an eternity locked within her own mind and all she has is suffering that bleeds through into the world as she takes control of Cheryl. And what she's trying to do is keep all this from happening and keep the God from being born. Whereas obviously Dahlia does not want that. So the Floros is, the Floros is given to you and it's, supposed to be as far as dahlia is concerned oh well this is going to sh- sever the connection and you're going to have your cheryl back when, when in reality she knows that's not the case they're going to become one at, at some point but what the florist does is achieve her goals is it um gets rid of the psychic i, I guess ability that that she has to keep from birthing to god because she's an incredibly powerful psychic and she's had years and years to develop this power inside of her own mind. And the Floros was used, it, it has its actual it, its own occult uh like it it actually exists in, I guess, demonology or, mm-hmm. or you know, if you believe in that kind of stuff. There there are yeah. writings about a floros and it it's supposed to uh get rid of uh, demonic presences and possessions and stuff like that, and it's being used against uh Jesus Christ, I'm blanking on her goddamn name. Sure. So I know <laughs> Harry's daughter's name for some reason, but I can't Alessa. remember. Alessa, Jesus. Yeah. Why do I keep doing that? I, <laughs> I want to call her Sherry for some reason. Uh, the Resident Evil 2 thing. So so Alessa has these psychic powers and the only way that you're able to break her own control over her body and keeping the demon god from being birthed into the world, which is, which is Alessa's plan the entire time, is to keep all these things from happening. Um obviously Dahlia doesn't want that. So she gives you the fluoros, which is going to sever that psychic connection, which immediately allows the demon God to be birthed into this world in an imperfect state because the entire demonic pregnancy thing, the whole thing wasn't going to plan to begin with because of the fire and the boiler explosion and stuff. So you have this imperfect God and Dahlia figures, Hey, we worship this God an imperfect version of it being in the real world is better than not at all. So, that happens and and the florist is all that that's what causes that to happen and it's kind of sold to you as this good thing and it ends up being this negative thing and totally gets rid of harry's chance to ever see his daughter again because it kind of forces cheryl and alessa back to being one person so that that process can complete
3: awesome like that was just like um a massive like law
2: breakdown. I kind of
1: like, yeah. Awful. Um, right. Turns one out one. Albert Wesker works for umbrella. He wants to
2: kill yeah. A lot of people like, don't know compa- that, but
1: compared to, compared to resident evil's like plot of like, I'm a bad guy. Uh, I mean, obviously it's deeper than that, but you just like blew my mind where I'm like, Oh man, I need to go back again. Right. Um,
3: one last question for Jared on the, sure. the subject of the story. Cause I'm loving this. Sorry. I've got to use his power. Uh, All right. Um, so in Silent Hill 3 I'm right in thinking the general interpretation is it's like a menstruation uh, birthing kind of thing that kind of psychic shockwaves what's causing transformation into the other world right Is that Sword. the same case is that the same case in Silent Hill 1 kind of with the god
2: No in? okay so the the big difference is with Silent Hill 1 you have Alessa who's uh when the boiler, pl- uh, the boiler explosion happens in the house that they're doing the pregnancy ritual at, when that takes place, uh, Alessa is able to take advantage of all the chaos and her immense pain to separate herself into two distinct entities, right? Yeah. So that the, the demonic pregnancy can't take place because think of it as you have two halves of something being split. It can't be whole until they come together. So that pregnancy can't take place as long as they're apart. When Harry drives through Silent Hill, uh, excuse me, when he drives through Silent Hill and crashes his car, Alessa knows, okay, so my other half is here. I could either have my other half doing my my bidding essentially around town to keep this stuff from happening, or the other option is Dahlia gets a hold of her. We're forced to become one. A demon god is birthed into the world, and the world is thrust into just absolute hell. So she takes control of Cheryl. Which, while she's exerting her power that way, her suffering, her inner hell, is kind of being thrust into reality as well. This is totally unintended, unwanted consequence, which kills me when she's described in other games as being the the antagonist, like she's she's the evil person. Like the honestly, Silent Hill one, uh, Cheryl and Alessa together, they're the main character. We're just experiencing her, experiencing her story through Harry. Whereas in Silent Hill three, you have um, what is essentially Alessa that it, it's not like a clone, I guess you would say the same way she split herself. She combined herself essentially yeah. and made uh, Heather yeah. wh- who is uh, Silent Hill three's main protagonist. When she did though, she made Heather or Alessa as she existed, which was pregnant with a demon God. But since this was a copy, it's like you make a copy of a copy. It's imperfect. Heather is physically pregnant. Like she, there's a demon God physically inside of her and when the other world takes place, which blew me away because I was a huge Silent Hill lore fan and then Silent Hill 3 takes place and we're in Portland, Oregon and then the other world's coming into existence, I'm, that's blowing my mind. It's because Heather has the latent psychic abilities that Alessa had. She's not aware of them so she she's never tried to use them but they're there. She just can't access them. She has no idea they exist. And she also is physically pregnant with a demon god. And when she feeds it essentially her negative emotions so when you're playing the game claudia is constantly strapping you with these terrible situations and the idea is for her to allow this fetus to grow through hatred through negativity through depression sadness and she's putting heather through all these things which is allowing the god to become that much more real and Present inside of her. So Heather's psychic abilities, once again, are taking her negative emotions, which are feeding the God and it projecting the God's world out around her, which is why you're outside of Silent Hill and Silent Hill's spiritual power emanating from Toluca Lake. And yet those things are still happening. Cy- uh, Heather's latent psychic abilities are doing the same thing they were doing in Silent Hill one, which is interesting when I made that connection because I thought this the story was so different because she's outside of Silent Hill mm. for a good portion of the game, and then we're in the other world, how does that you know, jive with series lore? Well, she's also the one who caused the other world to come into existence in Part 1. It, it stands to reason she could do it in Part 3.
3: Wow. I could just listen to Jared talk about this stuff for hours. Yeah. <laughs> I
1: absolutely, could as well. That was yeah. fascinating. <laughs> and to that end, She in has fact... this little Silent Hill conduit with her. Absolutely. Basically.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, to that end, in fact, uh, if that intrigued you and you somehow haven't gone diving into Jared's YouTube channel, not only has he done reviews of every Resident Evil game to a certain point, um, he's going through Silent Hill right now, which is kind of why we brought him on. Um, and mm-hmm. he breaks down a lot of that plot really well in his videos as well. So, do absolutely. I
2: try do to, my
0: hardest. I, I'm I really getting through to. them myself and I'm having a
1: great time. Nice. I was quickly going to say, um, I was wondering what your guys' thoughts were on the well, for my age at the time, very uncomfortable sexuality in the game. Hmm. Um, this it seems to be something that pervades Silent Hill.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, it's very, you know, there's a lot of suggestive, especially going through the series, there's a lot of adult suggestion in the game. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, really adds on to the, the uncomfortable oppressiveness I don't know if that's bad or not, if that says something about, like, my weird brain. Um, <laughs> but, but how did you guys feel about that, you know, when everyone kind of came to it at different ages? I was 17, so it was very awkward for me, especially with my best friend, you know, mm. um, playing alongside and, mm. and being like, this is kind of weird. But Psy obviously coming to the game as, an uh, like, a, an adult Um what what were your guys thoughts on on that kind of like theme around the game Uh, if i could
2: hit you right off the bat i want to let you know it's not just you you're not the weird one for noticing that (laughs) or being weirded out by that (laughs) that that was a conscious effort in the series especially with part two but the idea was was to tap into things that made people inherently uncomfortable like i was talking about a a town being completely empty while looking like it should be populated but the 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 point was is to touch on the two things everyone's uncomfortable about, uncomfortable about, death and sex. Those are the two things you just you can't talk about in mixed company no matter what, right? So that was very much an intentional effort, and especially in part two, where you had James who was just super sexually frustrated because, I mean, you have a dead wife. Obviously, you're not going out there in the dating scene. You're super depressed. You're not able to relieve a lot of those urges. Mm-hmm. So you had Pyramid Head doing what, looked obscenely sexual but at the same time totally not sexual like rubbing two uh, dolls together right it's kind of sort of mimicking a sex act but at the same time totally not uh you you definitely have elements of that in every silent hill game and that's kind of the point is it's you're supposed to be uncomfortable when you're looking at these creatures they're supposed to look pathetic which makes you feel sad but they're also dangerous which makes you feel scared and they're mm-hmm. kind of sort of sexual which makes you feel uncomfortable
0: well said, I'd say. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, it's it is weird because, yeah, it's suggestive, but also you you don't want to look at it. <laughs> mm-hmm, exactly. It's coming at you, wielding something. It's yeah, yeah, it's such a strange combination of things. I feel like a lot of that's a bit more background in Silent Hill One, as you said. Silent Hill Two, it's a big theme of the game. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, they went really all in on that one, and for for mm. me, Silent Hill Three, the way it ends. We're not going to get too much into spoilers for other games. Obviously, mm-hmm. the way that ends when they kind of reveal some of the story that we were just talking about um, with Heather, that mm-hmm. brings that back in full force, definitely.
2: Oh, for sure, yeah. You have this idea of a pregnancy, which suggests the I- idea of sex. Mm-hmm. Some of the enemies have very feminine uh, features or even sometimes sound effects. Yeah, you're 100% right.
3: I figure out how I would have felt in Sound Hill 1 when I would have been 14 I get the feeling I would have been like Mister Spock or a T eight hundred, and it just kind of washed straight over me. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I, I that was here definitely at an age, yeah. Where it's, <laughs> you
1: know. I mean, like you say, it wasn't super overly um, mm-hmm. in Silent Hill one as it is in in number two, but yeah. it's definitely there. And some of the female characters have like a. a the way they act is slightly off and it makes mm-hmm. it's confusing. So I was just wondering, like, yeah, like as we oh, yeah, touched sure. on it, what you guys thought, because to me, it feels like I don't want to sound perverted, but it feels like a big like like you were saying, Jared, you kind of validated me that it is <laughs> a big part of that series um, yeah. as a whole. And the story as a whole of this weird, uncomfortable how to make you feel uncomfortable kind of thing.
2: Yeah, it, it's there in, in every game for sure. And if I could, I know you were trying to wrap it up, but if I could get us on one <laughs> quick tangent, I have a question for everybody because I'm, I'm always interested to hear this. How do you guys, if, if you have, how do you guys feel about the newer Western developed Silent Hill games? How, how does everybody feel?
0: Um, I've not really played any to be honest. I've only played the first three. I've played I think it was Downpour for a couple of hours. Uh, and that mm. was my, <laughs> that was my first time. I'm so sorry, sorry. Si. <laughs> that was my I'm first time. So sign... It's fine. I, I, because it was my first sight in Hill game, I can kind of bin that off and forget Ooh. that it existed. My uh, <laughs> my memory's huh. terrible as well, so I've genuinely forgotten pretty much all of what I played in that game. I, I rented it. Um, and played it for a few hours, but I'd be interested to go back and look at it now. I'd definitely be more interested to play. Them. I know Steve, you got a long history with the series. Uh,
3: I forced myself through Homecoming to 100%, because mm. back when I was like at college and like we were doing achievement races. So I 100%. Sure. It. Yeah, but uh, the only one I would say of the quote unquote Western titles that I would say is actually worth any time. Jared actually recently did a retrospective video about. Shattered memories, and it's better mm. as a not a Sound Hill game than it would be a Sound Hill game, but it's probably yeah. the only one I'd say actually is worth anyone's time personally. But well, yeah,
1: I did. I'm in the same boat as si. I did the first three, um, in the exactly the same vein. It became a tradition almost mm. where I we would get together and and my buddy would play and we would hang out and I would watch. Um, and then after that, I didn't really pay too much attention to the series because we. You know, we were adults by that point, or whatever, I had moved on, and that was kind of like our thing. I didn't feel like I wanted to play any Silent Hill. Mm. The only thing that, the only one that really f- fascinated me, without knowing anything about it, but I, someone had told me about the concept of it, maybe, and and I w- I've always been intrigued, is The Room. And mm. I don't know if it's good or not, but... Someone had spoke to me about, it, and I was always like kind of obsessed with like the idea of that game. So yeah, but the room still team Silent
3: though, I think. Yeah,
2: uh...
1: maybe I,
3: I, I don't know. Oh. That is
2: a whole can of worms. Oh, Technically, okay. <laughs> sort of, kind of, yes. So uh, what happened was, is the room was being developed uh, right alongside Silent Hill three, and it was uh, Akira Yamaoka's idea at an original horror property. He liked the idea. Okay, you're stuck in this apartment. You like, it. I like the uh, the uh, oppressive and and isolated idea of being stuck in this apartment. But how can we work that into a horror game? And Konami said, "I know how you do that. You make that a f- Silent Hill game." <laughs> so they, <laughs>
0: they
2: they forced them to not force them. I mean, obviously, I'm sure they wanted to. But the every original idea of Silent Hill Four: The Room got rolled into being created as a Silent Hill game. Very much after the fact, and there's a lot of evidence for that. And technically, yes, it was Team Silent because it was Akira Yamoka, and then what they called Team Silent's B Team. And what the B Team was were people who did very unessential things for Silent Hill, like um, people who organized the contents of the disc once they printed the game on console disc, people who uh, decided to uh, or who decided which fonts should be used, and and who implemented those fonts into the game. People who wrote ancillary item descriptions, stuff like that. That was the team that made uh,
1: huh.
2: Silent Hill Four. The room, wow, that's which is like, yeah, it's yeah. weird. Like if, if the if the guy if the guy who was a roadie for Aerosmith were to start his Something own was band, plan- yeah, right. Technically, <laughs> he was a member of Aerosmith's touring team, right? <laughs> that's how I look at Silent Hill Four. Interesting. So, so it,
0: for it, me, it, it's technically there. Four is obviously like the next one for me to play. I've played two, three, and then one. It's time mm-hmm. to move because when I was doing my YouTube thing, I played two and I played three, and I, put, I remember putting up a poll. I was like, dude, what do people want to see me do? Go back and do one and four, and obviously, I've moved on from that now. First Aid Spray has taken over, but it's given me the opportunity to go back and play Silent Hill 1. I guess down the road we'll play Silent Hill 4. Who knows, you know, the bonus episodes that we make kind of depends on how many patrons we get. So hopefully we, we get plenty so we can just carry on making Silent Hill episodes because I'll happily replay 2, 3, and then we'll do 4. <laughs> oh,
3: that'd be nice. Hell yeah. Maybe
1: I'll even play one of the games. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I think we need to see that. I want to see
3: you stream it. Okay, Adam, stream sx
2: <laughs> yeah. Cause it's, it's a totally different experience. I, cause I, I actually, uh, I have the same thing. My wife was playing through persona five and I've never played persona five, but I've watched her play through like 75% of it. Mm-hmm. And I bet it's, it's a more visceral experience when you have the controller in your hand and you're the one who's making all the decisions yeah, when yeah, you get hit sure. by an enemy or something. For
1: sure. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, let's, let's wrap this one up. Nothing else remains for me but to thank our contributors and our Patreons once again. Support the show for as little as $1 a month to help us create more bonus content like this one over at patreon.com forward slash pod. You can also join our Discord server where you can discuss Resident Evil with us and other fans and listen to the main show live as it's recorded. The link to the server is in the description of this podcast and also on our social media profiles. You can follow us on Twitter at FASprayPod on Instagram at FASprayPod and on Facebook Facebook at facebook.com forward slash pod. You can find the podcast on YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, and iTunes. And if you enjoyed the show, please do leave us an iTunes review if you can. It helps spread the word. Thank you to the panel. You can follow us all individually. I'm at sineac underscore one, two, three. Steve is at Fire Button Games. Adam is at Advica zero one. And Jared is at Avalanche. Jared. And finally, thank you for listening and have a good week.
2: Just out of uh, curiosity, what zombie movie are you guys covering?
0: We put up, so we, (laughs) I did a poll, right? Um, and I was like, there's a bunch of these versus zombie films, so I'm just gonna pick three and see what (laughs) happens. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's my reaction right there. Um, so I think, um, I
1: mean, we already did did four of the Resident Evil movies, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, so Uh, yeah, we sure did.
0: Um, so I put up the poll and it was Bigfoot versus zombies, which I think maybe got one vote, uh, pro wrestlers versus zombies, which I really wanted to do. And everyone I wanted that one. I know you did. <laughs> everyone picked cockneys versus zombies, which is what we're doing next.
2: It, there's no way these things really exist. This <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah. They're all on Jesus. Amazon video.
0: Trust me. I checked so that we could actually watch them. Um, so wow. sometime in the coming weeks, we're going to be breaking up, uh, our Resident wow. Evil Three podcast with Cockneys versus Zombies. Thanks a lot, Patreon.
1: <laughs> You're gonna make me watch that damn movie. <laughs> yeah.
3: we, we, we say this. We say this, guys. Okay, it could actually be better than any of the f- Resident Evil films. I, yeah, I mean, there is a
1: chance
2: for sure. <laughs> <laughs>